Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another Moving to Live podcast. Our ethos, along with our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, is movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. Our idea behind Moving to Live is twofold. First, to break down knowledge silos, to interview people in the movement field, literally across the movement spectrum, who make sure or understand that movement is part of what makes their lifestyle complete. We talk about what they do professionally, and we also start out by talking about how they got to that point, because you may see somebody on social media or read an article that they wrote and think, oh, wow, that's what I want to do, never recognizing the story or the variety of jobs and training that it took to get there. Uh, I'm not sure how I connected with today's guest. I know from looking at LinkedIn, we have a number of common connections, and shameless plug for the company he works for. He works for Mio, which if you haven't heard about that, we'll talk about it. And I've been using a forearm strap from Mio for about the last seven or eight months when I got sick of messing around with my Coros heart rate monitor and the uh, heart rate on the back of the wrist. I didn't want to put a chest strap on because for those of you who ride in a car to where you ride your bike and then get dressed when it's cold and you're pulling your shirt up and putting a heart rate strap on, it's very cold. So I think we'll get into talking about that a little bit, talking about his career. I'm looking forward to it. Marcelo Aller, thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. Thank you. This is lots of fun. I look forward to sharing. My first question, favorite question I always ask people on Moving to Live is you're in an elevator. The elevator stops and you're stuck there, not for a very long time, but maybe for three or four minutes, and you get to talking with the one or two other people on the elevator with you. What's your elevator speech, your 30 seconds, 45 seconds? This is what I do. I help people get fit by training with heart. And what I mean by training with heart, and it's our tagline of our company, and it's a double meaning, is to train with meaning as well as to train with a wearable device for biofeedback. Because uh, if you're not effectively leveraging that information, you're really not training meaningfully. 
And I know a shout out to Don Moxley. I interviewed him. I don't think the interview will have aired when we air this, but I interviewed him just a couple of days ago. And one of the things he said is he thinks absolutely the most important uh, thing that somebody involved in movement or fitness can have is a heart rate monitor, because that gives you a direct reflection on how hard you are or are not working. So I think it's well suited to have one podcast followed by another. I'm curious how you adapted or how you got into that when you were obviously if you use heart rate training and you're selling or educating people about heart rate training, it's something that you do and you believe in. And I know I've seen on social media periodically, you post some of your workouts. Were you a mover growing up? Were you an athlete or was this something you found out later in life? So uh, I was a little bit of um yeah, I was a, I was a, I started my fitness career. I was probably started with a specific milestone. Personal health events actually led me towards being more mindful about uh, fitness and moving well. Um, at a young age, I was diagnosed with scoliosis as well as a heart condition. Um, the heart condition uh, went away. Um, that heart condition uh, was a heart murmur um, that. Uh, I was playing uh, high school sports and uh, the coaching, uh, my coaches basically had admirations of me trying to go towards uh, college sports. Um, I'm not the typical prototypical size or frame. Um, you know, my heyday might've been five, nine, um, but my wife tells me no. Um, uh, I uh, was though very, very fast and uh, for the size I was at that time. So I did go on to play one double football, but before that specific event was being diagnosed with a heart murmur, I failed our stress tests. So um, through further exploration, I found the cardiologist that introduced me to a heart rate monitor at that time, um, put me through a special EKG test. Um, that was a, a, a stress test, a failure but it had certain um, things were injected into my bloodstream and they were able to view how my blood work, my heart works in each ventricle to each uh, area of my heart to see, to make sure that um, there's no plumbing issues, if you may, that would um, indicate that I'm done for um, ever participating in sports. And the cardiologist reaffirmed me that, you know, you're fine. Um, you just have an athletic heart, your scoliosis is not so bad. Um, go back, you can play. Um, so flash forward, uh, I would say in um, about four years ago, um, I was diagnosed with another cardiac event. Um, and it was from prior uh, uh, Im impacts of, uh, of, of working with professionals like a doctors and therapists and coaches that if they didn't have me regularly wear a wearable, it would be, it would go by undetected. And that's really why um, I'm so passionate when it comes to uh, wearable devices. It kind of gives me that dashboard view of where my body is through uh, what I'm doing for that day. And I think it's interesting for those younger listeners, you probably do not remember a time that there was, it wasn't a variety of wearables. I think I read an article last year, there's over 400 wearables in the world that you can potentially purchase. But I also remember in the, I think it was 1989 or 1990 when I purchased a polar heart rate monitor, which was only a couple of years after they were available to people. So they really have not been around that long, even though they're ubiquitous right now. 
playing well, football. Oops, sorry, go ahead. Just to add to that, it's kind of funny. Um, actually, wearable devices were out before, but not to the consumers. Um, I've done my history on this one. Um, looking at the super soldier programs, in the 50s and 60s, wearables were actually used to uh, protect uh, and identify where these people are in the field of war. Um, what body positions they were in, what's their heart rate, what's their blood pressure, um, things like that, respiration rate. Um, and now for consumers, it's just kind of like the internet. You know, we got to thank the government for creating kind of the internet. Um, it was all military purposes, right? Uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's amazing how wearable devices, the, uh, their evolution came about. But yeah, today you have many options. And I'm curious, since obviously you're better educated on this than me, do you remember in your research, did you find what was the size of the wearables that they were wearing in the 50s? Were they significantly larger than what we have now? They were larger and more uncomfortable, uh, didn't have great battery life. Uh, they had uh, you know, signal filtering uh, and acquisition issues um, in, in some cases. Uh, you know, conductivity was a challenge because the materials that they were using at that time, uh, you know, you probably remember when you got your first polar belt that you had to soak that transmitter belt for it to even have uh, a heart rate, you know, reading. Mm -hmm. uh, so those were the challenges, you know, back then. Um, and, and still some of them exist today. Uh, but um, I would say that now, today, it's more um, feature issues that people are, are encountering. Yeah, it's interesting. I won't uh, name different companies, but I switched uh, GPS watches because the watch I had previously been using had too many features. And I'm sure most people want features. And all I wanted to do was measure distance and heart rate and, and velocity. And there, if, if you want all the other things like heart rate, that's actually fairly difficult to find because so many of the devices out there will do everything but the kitchen sink. And I know I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I'm using one of your company's straps. And what I like about it, it's, I say this in a positive way, it reminds me of uh, polar heart rate monitors at the beginning where they were quite simple. And your strap is quite simple. It's got pretty good battery life, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. And you know, to charge it, it's very, it's very easy. You don't have to take anything apart. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to butter, butter you up, but because it's something that I purchased after purchasing in other companies. And it's just, it, it works quite well. And I think that's something, it does what it's supposed to do, but not more, which I think some of these wearables, you would agree, they try to do too much and they don't do anything well. They kind of do some things on average. Yeah. Um, after, so, you know, for me, uh, when we've done so much product development and I've had the opportunity of working with various different types of companies. Um, so when we, we relaunched this brand, uh, our goal was to take what we've learned and make the best update to something that was already existing in the market space. So an armband, as you mentioned, it, we had to tackle what was the, uh, the elephant in the room battery life, making it simpler. Uh, so it's a one button push to turn it on, it vibrates. Uh, so you have that information where you change zones, it could vibrate, 
You can change your LED light. So you're training by color as opposed to a big display that's giving you so much information that you might have to slow down your pace as opposed to just trying to train in a window or just being a minimalist, right? And going out, doing your event, you come back and you download the data and look at it at the end of the event. And uh, the downloading process was something that I've, that for me, for many other products was always the most painful experience. So for us, it's literally seamless. You open the app, boom, it gets uploaded. That's my favorite feature um, because I remember I would work with a lot of team sport athletes. So if a roster, an average roster is 28 people to a team in some cases, to download that much data and then present the data back to a team, um, that would be a two-hour and a half. I would have to schedule the meeting two or three hours later after practice or a game um, or the next day, as opposed to now it's just immediately updated. I can like schedule it 15 minutes after practice or a game and sit down and do, you know, analysis. Uh, it, it, it's totally a different world. Yeah, it, it really is. We're talking with Marcel Allo. He works for Mio. You mentioned a few minutes ago, you were fortunate enough to play division one double a football. And I know some people, most people who play sports at some point in life, they realize, okay, this is the end of the road for this particular activity that I, that I focus on. You know, some people may be uh, 40 years old and realize that some people may be 12 years old and realize that, you know, you played football at a very high level. When was it you realized that, okay, when I'm done with my college career, this is pretty much as far as I can go with this. Or were you able to go a little bit farther or how did that work where you realized, okay, I have to get, and I'm saying this in air quotes, a real job or have a real career. So it was kind of funny. Um, that's a great question. Uh, after two years of playing college football, I got um, hurt and uh, I also lost part of my uh, grant along with um, some financial funding that I had at my school. So that immediately terminated my participation in sports. Got an operation, came back, and to your point, what am I going to do? I got to finish off my schooling, number one. But what I want to do in my life, right? And the only common thing that I really just enjoyed, because my dad always told me two things you can do. You can do what you like uh, and, and not have it feel like a job ever, uh, or you're going to be a hard laborer. Both are good jobs, very respectful, but you decide what you want to do. I would recommend you find something that you're passionate and you like. And so I ended up doing um, a, a role with uh, out of college uh, working with gyms because I started, I loved working out. And I always, on my football team, um, was the strongest or one of the strongest. And I would also lead some workouts with the strength coach. And I would be the one to always go to, uh, to work out and stuff. So uh, it, it made, it was just an actual fit. So uh, in, in New York, I ended up working out with a lot of different teams uh, as well as a lot of different athletes. And I just had, I was in, a, in an area that was very saturated with a lot of options. Um, so I went to school at the same time as work full-time. Uh, so uh, I went to the, what I call uh, the UCLA of New York, the university in the corner of Lexington Avenue, uh, known as Hunter College. Uh, I, I went back to, to actually, and I changed my degree as well from 
from accounting originally <laughs> to uh, physical education. So um, I completed that degree uh, four months later. Um, and that, that degree for me was, um, was very rewarding. You know, um, I ended up um, really using it uh, with athletes and using it with students uh, fifth, sixth, seventh graders. And, and as I was running and operating gyms, I would train with their parents. Um, so that kind of created this uh, subject matter expert opportunity where I was very passionate about learning about not only how the body worked, but actually reading the science behind it and making sure that that was information that I really learned. You know, um, so I'm sorry, I went off a little bit on tangent, but I wanted to make sure you got that. No, I think that's, I mean, too often people will say, well, I went to school, I got a degree in this, but I mean, there's a, there's always a story behind, behind what it was. I know I was going into college, either going to be a marine biology major or uh, try to get a certification in athletic training. And I say jokingly and seriously, then I took a, a plant biology class and hated it. So that made it pretty easy to decide what I was going to do. So you graduate, you've got a degree, you're working in, in the fitness field, you're, uh, Working, working for gyms. Some people, that's what they do. It's like they fall in love with it. It doesn't matter. But I know, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I interviewed Don Moxley the other day. And Don mentioned that uh, when he was out of college, he started a gym. And then he realized he needed to find some other things to do because he wasn't making enough money where he was at to support himself and his family. Uh, what was the story behind switching from working in gyms and fitness facilities to going more into sales and marketing with a variety of companies? Um, I always told all my friends that they were working stills, that I would never do in corporate America. Um, I, I was going to um, vow that I would never be part of the man's organization. Um, my, uh, I, I, I basically started realizing that as I was owning it, now I didn't have, I, own, I got to a point where I owned a speed agility quickness camp, and it, but it was seasonal. Uh, and I started realizing that, um, being a personal trainer, it's just, uh, it's commission-based as everyone's aware of that, that actually does it. A lot of people figure that some of these people are just, it's a glamorous lifestyle. It's not, it's a 16, 18 hour grind in some cases, um, where you're, you're just, you know, you're available early in the morning, you're available middle of the day, available later in the evening. Um, you either, uh, increase what you're charging to make more money or you teach groups to make more money. So you start getting more creative. And then today you even start doing more virtual work. Uh, I had a guy, I reached a point after 12 years and I started realizing that I worked with a very reputable club at that time, Equinox fitness club. And I opened up one of their most, uh, their first location, what they call the E club, which is a club within the club environment. Um, so it was a luxury, private cabanas, private training floors with a physiological lab suite that you can have anything that you, you can talk about from video analysis to metabolic analysis um, to um, having access to uh, best medical professionals in, in their market space, uh, as well as nutritionists, um, sports psychologists. So we had a whole board. Um, in that experience, I realized you know, I can't do this forever. I really can't. It, it's just like acting. It's a young man's game or a young lady's game. Eventually you just age out. 
and that's the reality. Like if you don't face it, then you become that weird 40, 50 year old. And I'm not saying it's weird, but I didn't want to be that individual unless I own the gym. And I just, at that point in my life, did not want to do it because uh, I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have more time. So I um, you mentioned the gentleman's name, Don Moxley. Don was a good friend of mine at that time. Um, he was a vendor for us um, and represented polar heart rate monitors at that time. Uh, I was my first heart rate monitor at the age of uh, 15 was uh, polar beat. And uh, because of that hard situation, I always had it. And then I showed Don that and he showed me a downloadable heart rate monitor. Um, <laughs> he was downloading data from that point and I and it was a high priced unit on average I was selling 20 to 30 of those a month so they were trying to understand how was I doing it was I selling them on a corner you know was I like hey man, <laughs> they were trying to understand what was I doing uh, uh, I at that time explained to Don and he was talking about cardio coaching and cardio training uh, we talked about how we used uh, assessment to drive services. So we would do physiological assessments, drive in their target zones, and then drive in their programs and reassessments and post-training assessments to show objective information, but also to kind of be that uh, behavior modification uh, that uh, a person needs. Uh, so what we ended up doing uh, was presenting that to certain other representatives at Polar, and they brought me on and uh, for about six, almost seven years with Polar, I had uh, unique experiences where I was brought in to be um, a tech uh, rep specialist, which was more of a subject matter specialist, explaining and training owners and operators and trainers on this concept and providing CEUs to that community. About two years after that, they created a customer marketing slash uh, sales position for me. Uh, where I worked with the B2C area and for people that don't know that term, it's business to consumer. So we worked with specialty retail. Uh, we worked with um, other, other business, other businesses that sold to consumers. And at that time, online was not that big. E-commerce was not that big. Uh, but for me, that experience helped um, in crafting messaging and marketing uh, and uh, I saw uh, a position that was a little bit senior to me, um, but it fit my background because I'm CSCS certified. It was the National Athletics Account Manager's position. Um, and being CSCS certified um, and working with team sports and have done it with fifth, sixth, seventh uh, grade teams uh, and coached, um, it was just an actual fit. So I took a product that was underserviced at that time, which was the old polar team system, which was just a chest belt with memory and we can collect the data, but then we had to download it, export the data, copy and paste it into an Excel spreadsheet, do Z scores and do standard deviation analysis, and then present it back to the uh, university athletic director or the sports team. Um, that was really, uh, that was kind of the, my first step into corporate America. And I didn't consider it corporate America because I was still doing what I liked. But in reality, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, not no longer um, 
in the uh, in, in I still was wearing maybe a polo shirt and some black uh, pants, uh, but I wasn't um, always in the gym. I had some flashbacks when you were talking about just seeing the first polar heart rate monitor that was downloadable. I'm dating myself, but I remember having a polar heart rate monitor and going by the minute over the course of an Ironman race that I had done and plugging the numbers into an Excel spreadsheet because I wanted to see what my heart rate was. And I mean, it took two and a half hours or so. And I remember having the Excel spreadsheet and thinking, boy, this is really cool. Look, this is where I got off the bike. And I mean, you're laughing at me now, but I'm laughing also because, you know, now with the heart rate monitors is literally you would get back to your car, open the app on your phone. And 30 seconds later, you would see the 10, 11, 12 hours of heart rate in a variety of ways. It's just it's amazing in 30 years or less than 30 years, the changes in the technology. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know through a variety of jobs, you ended up at Mio. There are a number of companies out there, and you mentioned that Mio relaunched a few years ago after being around. For people who may listening who maybe aren't aware, kind of give a little story or the background of what Mio was and how you started working for Mio. So I'm working, it's still at Polar at that time, and I first saw this company, Mio. Um, what caught my eye was um, it was one of the very few companies that was led by um, women a woman founder and an, uh, a CEO. Um, I immediately started talking to her. We started going back and forth, and uh, you know, I was uh, I was a little bit of a, of, a, of a purist at that time, uh, and I was having this argumentative conversation about one lead ECGs are the only way, most accurate way. Uh, your uh, PPG sensor technology not viable, not not doesn't work. You know, um, it's not as accurate. And she looked at me and she said, "So you're telling me that band that was created by a man is the only way that a woman's going to be able to measure their heart rate?" And I just went, "Wow, you sound like a jerk." And I was like, "All right, all right, let's let's talk about this further. Let's talk about the science of this. Uh, if I came across as you know slightly chauvinistic, I apologize." So Liz Dickinson uh, at that time, uh, we, we were going back and forth uh, and we were at a PE convention and we were talking about, you know, how kids, you know, to get more um, adoption, that having a PPG sensor would be a better solution. But at that time, the technology was still, it was more on demand. So you would have to actually touch the sensor face to get a sensor data uh, point. So you can do pre, post, or during in a session, quickly get data sampling. It wasn't continuous yet. And, and then for, she also for people for people who maybe are not familiar, could you give just a brief difference between the polar heart rate strap and, the, and what you're talking about to provide a little background of what the difference is? Sure. Sure. So a one lead ECG basically goes on your chest and it's looking at the electrical impulses of your heart. So in a, in a uh, medical environment, there's a PQRS way. Our uh, vents and we give you a beat per minute. Uh, and in a PPG sensor, you're looking at a sinusoidal wave and you're looking basically at the, the peaks of the sinusoidal waves through blood flow. So it's apples and oranges, if you may. It's not really the same type of technology. Even though people want to compare it, 
you know, the, you, know, you can, um, it's just not right to do in my opinion. Um, what you're looking at is uh, the, the accuracy in the same data sampling. I, I no, truth be told, I train with multiple devices at the same time. I still train with a chest belt. I still train with a, a wrist and then our armband. Um, I have a foot pod. Um, I, train with, I have orange. I'm pet. There's conductive technology that I mentioned before. There, there's a LED light. Um, it, 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 it's, it's just basically a conductive technologies. So think of it as what you would see, on, um, you would need points of contact, typically two, to, to be able to measure that. Um, so I took note of what Liz was doing and her messaging and how she was engaging. And she had other products at that time too. Mio had stopwatches, had pedometers, had downloadable, had the first downloadable, downloadable pedometer, uh, and then other products that were more um, specific towards maybe assessment for the PE teachers that day. Um, and then I started to um, other jobs and other careers, and around 2006. Uh, Mio uh, had um, raised uh, an Indiegogo program uh, that was uh, with the goal of partnering with Philips, a medical device manufacturer, to create uh, a high-speed continuous PPG sensor risk-based solution, the Mio Alpha. I wrote a letter to uh, Liz uh, asking her to if she ever considered having a national business development manager for this. I think I would love the opportunity. Um, I, I participated in the Indiegogo. Uh, we started speaking back and forth, back and forth. And uh, I reached out uh, again when they posted a position uh, and started uh, working with them uh, at that time as their national business development manager solely for their B2B business you know, working with gyms today uh, and at that time had um, really had a great opportunity of working with Orange Theory Fitness, uh, working with uh, the Lifetimes, the Equinoxes, the uh, different franchises and small businesses like Mountainside Fitness, which is now a bigger chain actually, um, choose a couple of other gyms using at that time different products that we evolved out of, uh, after the Mio Alpha. Um, it, with Mio, uh, the history was about 10 years that it's been in business. Uh, but at a point around eight or nine, actually, I would say eight years old, it had an intellectual, it had a special, uh, it bought an intellectual property by the name of Pi, uh, which is an uh an acronym for physical activity intelligence, which is based on the largest longitudinal study um, done to date. Um, it's called the Hunt study. Uh, and the Hunt study uh, looked at weighing times you spent in zones and giving you a score. And that score, similar to what trim scores are, uh, helped identify what can mitigate cardiovascular disease. 
Uh, pie spun off from Mio. Mio took a pause at manufacturing at that standpoint. Uh, and I left Mio for a biomedical engineering company because they stopped making hardware. Uh, wasn't an easy decision for me uh, because that experience of stepping into a company uh, by the name of Great Lakes Neurotechnologies uh, taught me that I could learn about biomedical engineering, something I had no idea about. And it was a steep learning curve and being very successful at it for the two years that I was with them. Uh, but I learned a lot about EEG, EOG, EMG, uh, all these different acronyms about uh, measuring different areas of your body from brain waves to respiration rate to you name it with course curriculum and also pharmaceutical studies uh, where I had to become very comfortable being uncomfortable and working with PhDs. Uh, that was an awesome experience. Uh, but Mio was uh, acquired at that time and in a relaunch under new management they wanted to bring back certain team members. I was one that was recommended uh, and about almost now two years ago, um, at the end of this month, it'll be two years. Uh, we worked aggressively in the first year to R&D the product by the end of the year, which is the meal pod in 2019. And we um, basically have now been um, working really hard in 2020 um, to uh, add more value to that with a coaching platform, uh, with an in-app training platform as well for people that want to do digital fitness at home and digital coaching at home. Uh, that something That's something that we pivoted really fast to because our gym owners and operators and trainers, especially trainers, they got laid off. Uh, and we wanted to figure out a way to help them. Uh, and this was one way of doing it. So that's kind of a a long story, but that's kind of how I, how Neil, if you take a look at my work history, um, I came back to it. I think it's interesting. You mentioned a few minutes ago when you were telling the story, you are a multiple wearables person or in polite terms, a gadget freak. And you're, you're preaching to the choir there. I know that there are two groups of people who typically wear wearables. There are people who just want to put a device on and they just want it to be simple. They just they want they want the information. They don't want to understand how it works. They don't want it to be complicated. And then there's people like you, like me, like a, a client of mine who's a, a electrical engineer. They want to geek out on. They want to say, okay, if I use two different heart rate monitor measurement techniques, which one gives the difference? You know, is there a difference when I when I bike with it or when I run with it or I or I lift with it? Yeah. Do you do that? Do you do that because you work in marketing for Mio and you want to compare the product that you sell with some of the other ones that are out there, or do you do it because I'm kind of interested just for what I do personally, or a combination of the two? That's a great question. So for me, I'm I'm largely participating in our product management side as well. Um, I oversee because I need to understand I have to market these products, so I need to understand beyond the specs of the product how it compares and what are the data sets. Um, so yes, um, I, I do uh, look at how that compares. Uh, one, for accuracy standpoint. Two, for how repeatable is it? Uh, and, and that's really what then drives a consumer experience. Because at the end of the day, like if I give this to my wife, who's the total opposite of me, 
who's like, I've had to like kick and scream to use a heart rate monitor. And she's a marathon runner. And she's like, come on, you know, it's like, you're telling me you're just going to go out there and wing this. And she's like, well, I don't want to see it. It's always too high. And I'm like, let's test you. You know, it's like, you know, it's it, it, so with, with, with her, I, I constantly work with, with that and different individuals to kind of give them an understanding. But yes, I, you know, every single day I like to look at the, at the trends um, and see if it's really um, the value that they're trying to tell me. So they're telling me my recovery is this, or if my training effect is this, um, and it helps me then, am I, you know, my goal for this workout is to do zone two. So based on my assessment, my windows are this, am I getting more metabolically efficient? And I'm able to, I'm, I'm able to see that, which is, which is awesome. I mentioned at the beginning that I bought one of your products because I was using a, a GPS watch that had heart rate on the wrist. And I think if you look at the literature, some people will say measuring heart rate off the wrist is fairly good, obviously not as good as a chest strap, but you also can look at uh, some of the research and if the arms are very active, if there's a lot of gripping, then the watch on the wrist moves around and you don't get an, you don't get an accurate heart rate. How did Mio come up with or, or how did uh, they decide that, you know, because you said they started out with a wrist watch that you put your finger on. How do they come up with a band that you can wear? I believe if I remember the materials, you can wear it on your forearm, you can wear it on your bicep. And am I misremembering or can you also wear it on your calf? The original unit would start off right above your carpal bone and then also uh, any on your any, any fleshy part of your forearm. Um, at that time, the way that we mitigated most of the issues in the carpal bone uh, was uh, through uh, filtering, you know, so high-pass filters, low-pass filters uh, to mitigate some of the issues along with the accelerometry on board. Um, that helps, but only so far. And it's gotten so much better. I mean, like if you were talking to me in 2013, uh, I would say we're good for running, cycling, and swimming. We're solid. We're just as good as a heart rate monitor. In the gym, you got to move it up higher. You know, the wrist was just a nightmare. Um, it, it would be a, almost a 12 to, you know, 12 beat difference, which is huge. Um, but we started adding, we started working on our algorithms at that point. Fast forward to now, we've moved to the arm. And, and on the arm, I'm trying to see where is my belt. Um, I actually was prepping for that. Ah. Uh, Anyhow, the, the armband, um, what, what we did was we partnered with Balancel um, that has a um, better, uh, has the, it's basically the golden standard for PPG sensor technology. Uh, we use them to not, they've evolved since that time that we started working with Philips. Um, so if you're looking at the two significant players in the market, as far as hardware goes, those were them. Um, the PPG sensor technology has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, and the batteries uh, are now better and better and better. Uh, so it's interesting um, to see uh, that evolution. Uh, and now the armband closer to the heart, uh, it also has uh, better, uh, promotes better accuracy that uh, as well. Um, 
because you're not going to be tensing up your arm like this. If you are, then there's other neurological issues maybe that um, I would ask someone to go see a doctor in that regard. Uh, they should not be as tense and the arm should be just normal. So, And I know what some listeners may not be aware of with uh, the arm strap, as you mentioned, there is a, a very user-friendly app that if you just want to go off color, you just want the arm strap and then measure it at the end, which I would imagine from what you said with your wife, if she doesn't want to know her heart rate, you could strap it on her and then you can look at it afterwards. But it also has the potential to use with a, a GPS watch or a watch that does heart rate and measure heart rate that way too. And I'm curious when it was originally designed, was it designed just to be used with the app or was it designed to be used with the app and have the additional yeah. function? You could pair it with a with a phone or you can pair it with a wrist unit. So we have customers that pay it, pair it actually to their Garmin's, to their Suntos, to uh, an Apple Watch um, or to a Coros Watch. Um, and uh, it works. It works as a Bluetooth RAM Plus uh, sensor um, very effectively. There's also um, an NFC chip there as well. So if like you're going to a gym and certain dashboard consoles now you can wave it and it and if you it can do a, a handshake and associate that identity of the customer from a member experience so for example on uh on any techno gym equipment i could wave my sensor on there and it knows it's me so any workout that i do on a treadmill on on their on their um growers or bikes it quickly gets associated with me. I don't have to sit there and tell it on the dashboard who it is. Very cool. We're talking with Marcelo Allery's told us his career as starting as a uh, gym, uh, gym worker, gym owner, progressing into sales and talking about the Mio. A lot of times people think about uh, heart rate and they think about runners, they think about cyclists, but you mentioned a little bit, and I wondered if you could elaborate more. This also has use in a, in a gym facility, not just with the cardiovascular uh, equipment, but also for people doing other types of workouts. I'm thinking CrossFit and some of the other functional training. Comment on how people who maybe aren't familiar with it might use the Mio or use heart rate for that. Yeah, it, it, it is exactly. Um, we do work now a lot more with that community um, for that specific reason that it doesn't, uh, it's not an issue to do a push up or to do a pull up or to do a dip or a snatch or a clean or any of their um, uh, types of styles of workout because we now don't have the issues that you would normally have with a wrist based unit. Um, that's where I think the we're at right now from a disruption standpoint. And that's constantly what you see in the tech side of business, right? Disruption, continuous disruption. Uh, and so you're seeing technology that's kind of been uh, the only option uh, in, in the space start getting um, a little bit more friction from other types of technology. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, the only other option at that time was chest belt technology, but there's also issues with chest belt technology and resistance training. Um, you know, so, you know, in pull-ups or push-ups, if it moves, you're going to get artifact. If you're down on the floor, it also cuts off sometimes signal acquisition to um, antennas or to phones. Um, so there's issues, you know, with both types of technology um, and the conductive uh 
the conduction of, of a chest band too is still exist. I wish we can get that better. Um, I actually use a, a conductive gel when I use a chest belt because I, I, if I'm going out in a cold weather, it's very common in, in, in Ohio, just like you were talking about. One, it's brutal because you're putting on your chest belt, but it's cold. It's it's cold. And, and so you, even if you moisten it, it it doesn't it doesn't conduct really well. So I use a gel and it's been a great solution. But um, I, I often take a look at, at both data sets and make sure that, uh, you know, and I try to do every single type of style of workout to make sure that it actually matches. Um, and I'm happy to say I'm within a beat to two beats um, to a chest belt. So, uh, and I, I encourage people typically when I go out and demo, I'll go out and demo and I'll put on, and I literally have a tile that says belt and a tile that says meal pod. And I show people, it's like, I'll go through a workout with them, you know, a warm up, and just kind of give them the feedback of this is what it looks like, you know, because that's kind of some right now, the, the fear, uncertainty and doubt approach on poo-pooing certain types of technology. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, let's have an open space. Let's bring all the different types of tools in to play with. And as long as you use something to take a look at your dashboard when you're driving your vehicle and you're safe, great. Whatever does that and you can repeat that and enhance the good behavior to improve your immunity, improve your well-being, that's all I care about. I think that's a great point to stop because I think that's really fits in with the ethos of Fit, uh, Fit Lab Pittsburgh and moving to live. Movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. And by using what I classify as toys in air quotes, but are actually tools, things like the Mio strap, you can do that. We're talking with Marcelo Aller. He works for Mio Labs. Marcelo, I want to thank you for taking time to tell your story to moving to live and give people a little bit more insight into uh, the meal products, because I know it's very often people get hung up on one or two brands. And I think you've done a great job of saying, you know, there are a variety of different tools out there that'll do the same things. And if you're looking for something new, maybe the meal is what you're looking for. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.